This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming, only on Hulu. The poem says, Human voices wake us, and we drown. But I've made this podcast with the belief that human voices are what we need. And so, whether from a year or 3,000 years ago, whether poetry or prose, whether fiction or diary or biography, here are the best things we have ever thought, written, or said. Here are a handful of poems from Ted Hughes' 1976 book called Season Songs. But as usual with uh, Hughes's poetry, what we're actually dealing with is not the book that was first released in 1976, but with uh, the final text or the best text that the editor of his collected poems could come up with, kind of gathering all the material that Hughes uh brought together before 1976 and after in the different editions and different versions of the book that was called Season Songs. It's just interesting to note that uh, the book first started out uh, as a pamphlet for the 1968 Harvest Festival for performance by school children, and that uh, by the 80s or by the the late 70s, um, Hughes could say, that season songs began as a, as children's poems, but that they grew up. So he kept adding to them and shuffling around the contents. And what I'll be reading from today are just my favorites from all of the poems that have been preserved that were in these various editions. The first is part five and part six from a poem called Uh, Spring Nature Notes, and it says, this is part five, Spring bulges the hills, the bare trees creak and shift, some buds have burst in tatters, like firework stubs, but winter's lean bullocks only pretend to eat the grass that will not come. Then they bound like lambs, they twist in the air, they bounce their half-tons of elastic when the bale of hay breaks open. They gamble from heap to heap, finally stand happy, chewing their beards of last summer's dusky whiskers. And this is part six. With arms swinging, A tremendous skater on the flimsy ice of space, the earth leans into its curve. Thrilled to the core, some flies have waded out an inch onto my window to stand on the sky and try their buzz. And this is a poem called Ice Crest and Snowflake. Part one says, a polished glancing, 
a blue frost bright dawn and the ox's hoof quagmire at the ice cumbered trough has so far protected a primrose and the wild mares in the moor hollow stand stupid with bliss among the first velvet-petaled full flowers they are weeping for joy in a wind that blows through the flint of the ox's horn and part two the north wind brought you too late to the iron bar rusted sodden in the red soil the salmon weightless in the flag of depth green as engine oil a snowflake in april that touched that registered was felt solitary signal of a storm too late to get in past the iron bar's leaf through the window of the salmon egg with its eager eye and here is part one of a poem called sheep the sheep has stopped crying all morning in her wire mesh compound on the lawn she has been crying for her vanished lamb yesterday they came then her lamb could stand in a fashion and make some tiptoe cringing steps now he has disappeared he was only half the proper size and his cry was wrong it was not a dry little hard bleat a baby cry over a flat tongue it was human it was a despairing human smooth oh like no lamb i ever heard its hind legs cowered in under its lumped spine its feeble hips leaned towards its shoulders for support its stubby white wool pyramid head on a tottery neck had sad and defeated eyes pinched pathetic too small and it cried all the time oh oh staggering towards its alert baffled stamping storming mother who feared our intentions he was too weak to find her teats or to nuzzle up in under he hadn't the gumption he was fully occupied just standing then shuffling towards where she'd removed to she knew he wasn't right she couldn't make him out then his rough curl legs so stoutly built and hooved with real quality tips just got in the way like a loose bundle of firewood he was cursed to manage too heavy for him lending sometimes some support but no strength no real help when we sat his mother on her tail he mouthed her teat slobbered a little but after a minute lost aim and interest his muzzle wandered he was managing a difficulty much more urgent and important by evening he could not stand it was not that he could not thrive he was born with everything but the will that can be deformed just like a limb death was more interesting to him life could not get his attention so he died with the yellow birth mucus still in his cardigan 
he did not survive a warm summer night. Now his mother has started crying again. The wind is oceanic in the elms, and the blossom is all scent. And here are a few sections from a poem called Autumn Nature Notes. This is part two. It says, the sun finally tolerable, the sunflowers tired out like old gardeners, cabbage white butterflies eddying in the still pool of what is left to them, the Boudleia's last cones of lilac intoxicant crusted with peacock butterflies and red admirals. A raven, orbiting elm-high, lazily, two cronks to each circuit. Sky sprinkled with forked martins, swallows glittering their voices. Now a cooler push, rocking the mesh of soft-edged shadows. So we sit on the earth, which is warmed and sweetened and ripened by the furnace, on which the door has just about closed. And this is part four. When the elm was full, when it heaved, and all its tautnesses drummed like a full-sail ship, it was just how I felt. Waist-deep, I plowed through the lands. I leaned at horizons. I bore down on strange harbors. As the sea is a sail ship's route, so the globe was mine. When the swell lifted the crow from the elm top, both poles were my home. They rocked me and supplied me. But now the elm is still, all its frame bare. Its leaves are a carpet for the cabbages, and it stands engulfed in the peculiar golden light with which eternity's flash photographed the sudden cock-pheasant. Engine whinnying, the fireball bird clatters up, shuddering full throttle, its three-tongued tail-tip writhing, and the elm stands astonished, wet with light, and I stand, dazzled to my bones, blinded. And this is part eight. Oceanic, windy dawn. Shapes grab at the window. Ravens go head over heels. The flood has scoured the sky. No going on deck today. I see through the submerged window that the quince tree, which yesterday still clung to a black leaf, has lost it. And here's a poem called The Seven Sorrows. The first sorrow of autumn is the slow goodbye of the garden who stands so long in the evening, a brown poppy head, the stalk of a lily, and still cannot go. The second sorrow is the empty feet of the pheasant 
who hangs from a hook with his brothers. The woodland of gold is folded in feathers with its head in a bag. And the third sorrow is the slow goodbye of the sun who has gathered the birds and who gathers the minutes of evening, the golden and holy ground of the picture. The fourth sorrow is the pond gone black, ruined and sunken the city of water, the beetle's palace, the catacombs of the dragonfly. And the fifth sorrow is the slow goodbye of the woodland that quietly breaks up its camp. One day it's gone. It has left only litter, firewood, tent poles. And the sixth sorrow is the fox's sorrow, the joy of the huntsman, the joy of the hounds, the hooves that pound till the earth closes her ear to the fox's prayer. And the seventh sorrow is the slow goodbye of the face with its wrinkles that looks through the window as the year packs up like a tatty fairground that came for the children. And just two more here. This is a poem called A Crane Fly in September. And it says, she is struggling through grass mesh, not flying, her wide-winged, stiff, weightless, basketwork of limbs rocking, like an antique wain, a top-heavy ceremonial cart across mountain summits, not planning, planing over water, dipping her tail, but blundering with long strides, long reachings, reelings, and ginger-glistening wings, from collision to collision. Aimless in no particular direction, just exerting her last to escape out of the overwhelming of whatever it is, legs, grass, the garden, the county, the country, the world. Sometimes she rests long minutes in the grass forest like a fairy tale hero. Only a marvel can help her. She cannot fathom the mystery of this forest in which, for instance, this giant watches, the giant who knows she cannot be helped in any way. Her jointed bamboo fuselage, her lobster shoulders, and her face like a pinhead dragon with its tender mustache, and the simple colorless church windows of her wings will come to an end in mid-search quite soon. Everything about her, every perfected vestment, is already superfluous. The monstrous excess of her legs and curly feet are a problem beyond her. The calculus of glucose and chitin inadequate to plot her through the infinities of the stems. The frayed apple leaves, the grunting raven, the defunct tractor sunk in nettles wait with their multiplications like other galaxies. The sky's northward September procession, the vast, soft armistice, like an empire on the move, abandons her, 
finally embattled with her cumbering limbs and cumbered brain. And lastly here, this is just part three from a poem called Two Horses. It says, the coulter slid effortless, the furrow's polished face with a hiss coiling inside, a bow wave that settled beside the poisonous brown river as I stumbled deeper. Hour after hour, the tall, sweat-sleek buttocks, mill wheels heavily revolving, slackness to tautness, stretch and quiver, the vein-mapped watery quake weight and their slapping traces drawing me deeper into the muffled days and toil of their flames, their black tails slashing sideways, the occasional purring snort, the stubble's brassy whisper, the mineral raw earth smell, the town wind of sulfur, the knotted worms sheared by light, the everlasting war behind the shoulder, the old plowman still young, furrow by furrow, darkening toward summer. Any comments or suggestions for readings I should make in future episodes can be emailed to Human Voices Wake Us, the number one, at gmail.com. Links to each work used in this episode can be found in the episode description. If you enjoy Human Voices Wake Us, you can subscribe wherever you find your podcasts. The music here is Duke Ellington's Arabesque Cookie.